when's the tiredest you've ever been? Think, think about the tiredest you've ever been and how you longed for rest. Tiredest I've ever been was commercial fishing. I once fished three days straight, 72 hours, with a 45-minute nap during that time. And it wasn't just normal fishing. We caught 46,000 pounds of salmon in those three days. 22,000 pounds the first opening. In fact, we had so many fish on board, uh, and we're in pretty shallow water, that the waves, we began to boom, hit the bottom, boom. We were in a uh, commercial, old commercial wooden boat, and hitting the bottom, started splitting the, the seams, and uh, we began to ta- take on water. Took on so much water that the engine went out, so we had to get towed. Now, because we caught so many fish, we had to pick fish way after the opening had closed, and, and other people went back to, to cannery and slept, and we delivered the fish, and then we had to get towed, so that was a long process. And while we're being towed, uh, I had to use five-gallon buckets of water to keep us afloat. So two hours of just nonstop five-gallon buckets up and over the side. I was exhausted. We then uh, brought the boat out of the water, fixed, uh, repaired the boat and the engine during my should-have-been sleep time. And I did get uh, about a 45-minute nap uh, in the the engine hold because I wasn't being uh, utilized at one point. But then right back out to another opening, uh, 24,000 pounds. That second opening, I was so absolutely exhausted. I just constantly was praying, God, you promise you will not give us more than we can handle. I'm there. How can you not see this? I am totally there. And I would just, I would fall asleep picking fish. I'd just wake up and face in slime. It was terrible. I longed for rest. And so how good it felt when the rest finally came. You know, the Bible says that we, we need rest not just for our physical bodies. We need rest for our souls. And the awesome thing is that God invites us into his rest. Genesis 2.2, we are told that after six days creating the world, God rested. God is at rest. He's not inactive, but he's at rest. He is celebrating a job well done. He's enjoying his creation. And he has created us with a longing for that same kind of rest. And he invites us into it. In fact, one of the reasons God gave the Jews the command to uh, honor the Sabbath, to take one day a week off to rest, is uh, to give them a taste for that, uh, that God rest available. The promised land that God brought the Israelites into was also just a picture and a taste of the ultimate rest that we Christians call heaven. God's rest is available to us. But in our biblical text today, we are warned that many people don't enter that rest because of their unbelief. And so we are, uh, we are warned, we are challenged, we are encouraged. Hey, there's only one way to enter the rest of God, and that is by putting your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be studying chapter 3 through 4.13. The first point is this. The only way to enter God's rest is by putting your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, uh, then God is inviting you into His rest. 
Uh, but he is exclusive. He says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And through the whole Bible, uh, we learn that God says, I've provided a way. My son Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life. So to, to do what you couldn't do. And then he went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. But if you'll repent of your sins and put your faith in my son Jesus and follow him for a lifetime, he'll lead you right in to an eternal rest with me forever. And it's awesome. So if you're not a Christian, thanks for being here. This is a good place to be. And please uh, today consider following Christ right into the rest of God. Second point uh, that just jumps out uh, of this text is this. Only those whose faith in Christ perseveres for a lifetime will enter that rest. Let me read you some scriptures. Chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So there's an if clause. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, an evil, unbelieving heart is manifest in this text. It's manifest in a rejection of Jesus as the Savior, uh, a belief that you don't need Christ and you're no longer following him. It's not talking about general sin. Verse 14 for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, praise God it stands, he hasn't closed it off, there's still an opportunity for you. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And then in chapter 4, verse 11, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience as who? As the Israelites uh, who wandered in the desert. And that's the big uh, backdrop to this uh, text, is he's drawing lessons from the fact that the same Israelites that God miraculously delivered from slavery in Egypt didn't get to enter the promised land because they rebelled against God. They had hearts of unbelief, and finally God said, fine, then you are going to die in the wilderness. You will not enter my, le uh, my rest. And Hebrews uh, says, let's learn from that. You've got you to gotta remain faithful for a lifetime. Now, Hebrews has um, five warning passages uh, that are quite startling to read. And Christians have come to some, um, Bible-believing Christians have different takes on why those warning passages are in the Bible. And so, uh, you know, what do we do? Someone like myself who believes that uh, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. My understanding is that once the Spirit of God regenerates you, uh, he does his work in you and completes it all the way to heaven. I believe in once you're saved, you're always saved, that true Christians remain true Christians. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe that you can have the Holy Spirit one day and not have the Holy Spirit the other day. Uh, but what do I do with... Uh, we've got something playing in the background. 
what do I do with uh, these, these warnings in Hebrews? All right, well, let me tell you, Christians have taken three basic uh, approaches to the warning passages in Hebrews. And, the, and, and they're all respectable. The first one says this, listen, these warnings are addressed to Christians, and they wouldn't mean anything if it weren't possible for Christians to fall away. Some Christians obviously turn their back on Christ. They lose their salvation. And, uh, and the obvious, you know, the warning doesn't have a bite unless it's possible that we might walk away from Christ. Okay? Um, many Christians, that's their understanding. Now, there is a second approach to the warnings in Hebrews, and it says this. Hebrews was originally a sermon in epistolary form. What does it mean? It's a sermon written down, and its purpose was to be read at church gatherings uh, throughout in the early church. So uh, a church would gather, and someone would read this sermon to the Christian congregation. And Christian congregations are always filled with both true believers and those not yet saved. And so uh, the argument there is, Yes, he's talking, you know, when, when, for example, if I address you, you know, brothers and uh, fellow, fellow partakers in, the, in Christ, knowing that there are some unbelievers very probably in, in, the, in the meeting place. And so they say, here he's talking to Christians, but these warnings are really only applying to the unsaved within the Christian congregation. Okay, that's take number two. And then there's a third take, and the one that I, I buy into based on my understanding of the rest of Scripture, and it's this. These warnings are tools God uses to provoke perseverance in the Christian. And that for the elect, for the true Christian, they are 100% effective. They are true warnings, but the Christian always heeds them. So, for example, uh, my understanding of Scripture is that uh, before the foundation of the world, God elected some to be saved. But, they, but how do they become saved? By responding to the preaching of the gospel. And so, if the Christians don't preach the gospel, how are, you know, the Bible says in Romans, how are they going to respond if they don't hear? And so, the preaching of the gospel is the, uh, is the means or the tool God uses to effect faith. Well, in the same way, uh, the issuing of warning is the tool God uses to pr provoke uh, steadfastness, faithfulness, and perseverance in the Christian. But the Christian, indwelt with the Spirit of God, always responds. All right? So, I don't know how, I don't know what your take is on that, um, but let's move right past that to the point. There is a very clear point that should not be missed. What's the point? The point is this. Only those who persevere in their faith until the end are saved. And that is obviously implication. If you, at some point in your uh, life, abandon Christ and stop being a Christian and say, I, I no longer need Jesus. For, for the Hebrews here, the danger was that they would revert back to Judaism. I'm not going to uh, make a big deal about Jesus as the Messiah. I'll just go ahead and, and uh, go back to the old sacrificial system and my Jewish roots and be content with that. 
Why? Because uh, Christians were in the crosshairs of persecution. And so there was, there was a temptation to back away from Jesus so that you backed away from persecution. And Hebrews is saying, if you back away from Christ, you're lost. If you fall away from Jesus, if you no longer are a Christian, then, then God is no longer at work in your life in salvation. You will not enter his rest. Heaven will not be your home. Now, I've been a Christian long enough now to have my own personal stories of people who were once very involved in the church and gave every evidence of being a Christian who I have seen walk away. And it's tragic. My own roommate in college, he was the president of his youth group in high school. Very involved in church. Got to college, and he stopped being a Christian. He and I took a class on evolutionary biology from uh, uh, Stephen Jay Gould, and that was part of it. But there were other things involved. But eventually, uh, he just, he no longer called himself a Christian. Uh, we had lots and lots of talks about it. A couple years after we graduated, he took his own life. I have, I would love to believe that uh, my good, dear friend is in heaven because he once knew. But this text doesn't give me any hope, does it? God knows, only God knows, but it grieves my heart. Let me tell you, uh, share the story with you of uh, William Graham Sumner. Uh, William Graham Sumner, in 1869, was ordained a, an Episcopal priest. And for two years, he was rector, or pastor, of Church of the Redeemer. And he preached uh, two sermons every single week, faithfully for two years. And then he was uh, offered a professorship at Yale. And so he resigned uh, his pastorate and became a professor at Yale. In fact, he taught the very first class on sociology ever in America. So an early sociologist. Well, his church attendance while he was professor at Yale, in fact, he became, he was a, very, became a very famous uh, intellectual in the uh, United States, his church attendance became less and less frequent and eventually dropped off altogether. Listen to what he told a friend later in his life. I have never discarded beliefs deliberately. I left them in a drawer. And after a while, when I opened it, there was nothing there at all. He never deliberately chose to fall away to reject Christ. But he put Christ in a drawer, and then when he went back later in life, he realized there's nothing here. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, the gospel, lest we drift away from it. To drift away, you're not rowing. The current is just taking you. The current of our society is drifting away from Christ. And Hebrews is saying, listen, pay much closer attention to your faith. Put more into your spiritual life lest you drift away. Just like William Graham Sumner put Christ in a, 
in a little drawer and then later in life realize, whoa, where's my faith gone? We've got to be, stop being so casual about our spiritual lives. That's what, that's what I see here. Don't, don't be casual about your spiritual life. Eternal rest is at stake. This is a big deal. Does God have your full attention? Is your, is your spiritual life just sort of uh, a small slice of your, your robust full life? You know, Jesus says, you know, be careful that the cares of the world don't choke out the gospel life within you. Boy, the world's temptations uh, and, and the temptation of sin. Look, look at um, verse 12. Take care, um, chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin hardens our heart. What does it mean? It means that uh, sin says, listen, let me tell you where real life can be found. Real life can be found in that affair. You're going to be happiest uh, if you devote, if you climb the corporate ladder. You're going to be happiest if you uh, cheat on your taxes. You're going to be happiest uh, if you put your sport life first and, and uh, let it crowd God out. And sin deceives, and sin hardens when we allow it uh, to grow and fester in our lives. And so, let's heed the warning of Hebrews today. Let's stop being casual about our spiritual life. Now, the Christian, I believe, the Christ, Christian... Uh, he hears this warning, and the Lord uses it to correct. And so, does God want to do that in your heart today? Are you feeling the Spirit of God correct you with this warning? Well, in our text today, there is, uh, there is one antidote to the danger of apostasy, and that is uh, community. I just read it, verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The antidote in this text, the antidote is each other and exhorting each other. What does it mean to exhort? Well, in chapter 13, uh, the author says, thanks for putting up with my exhortation. So his exhortation was rebuke. His exhortation was, think about what you have in Christ. Do you really want to miss that? Right? And He's saying, do that for each other. In chapter 11, he says, don't forsake the assembling of, the, of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but provoke one another to love and good deeds. The Bible is very clear. Uh, one of the ways that we are um, protected from drifting away is by gathering regularly with each other and encouraging each other, exhorting each other. Um, this is why church attendance is important. Right now, you're being exhorted, and you're in the presence of other Christians, and we're talking about God is good, 
and we're hearing from the word of the Lord and, and your heart is stirred and it helps combat the drift. Helps keep you faithful. And so you don't attend church to, to kind of win points with God. You attend church so that your own, uh, the coals of your own spirit are, are kept bright. It's for your own good. You need me and I need you. Get involved in a journey group. That's, that's the primary way around here that we, uh, we encourage each other in, in small group settings. And maybe you don't feel the need for it today, but there's probably going to come a day when you do desperately need the, those, that small group of Christians speaking into your life. And there's certainly going to come a day when they need you. We need each other. So let's not be casual uh, about a, a church attendance and participation in the life of the body. Christ is what matters. Entering into God's rest is what ultimately is important. This world is passing, uh, and all of its glitz and glamour will end. And what, at the end of the day, what matters is whether or not you have entered God's rest or not. And so let's properly prioritize. So I'm thinking of uh, ways we might want to respond. So Maybe today you're realizing, man, I am drifting. I am in danger. I pray, I pray that God, uh, I believe that the Spirit of God is going to use today's message to, um, to challenge you, to provoke you, to repent and return to doing what you once did. Is that you? It might be that you realize, I've gotten a little too casual about my spiritual life. Uh, I've, I've allowed myself to, um, I've allowed the cares of the world to dominate. You know, you know that you're drifting, and I know I've blown past this slide, but you know you're drifting when your core identity is no longer wrapped up in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But when you think about yourself and you think, who am I? And I think, first and foremost, I'm a follower of Jesus. I am a Christian. I am one who is growing closer to Jesus, becoming transformed by his spirit, entering more fully into the calling that he has given me. When that, that's your core identity, that's a good, you're in a good place. But when, when you think of who am I and you immediately think, I, I, am, uh, I am an awesome runner. I'm a great wrestler. I'm a, I'm a straight-A student. I am a, a business leader. I am super uh, athletic. I am a wife. I am a mom. Those are, all, those, are, those are all good, noble things. But when, oh, yeah, oh, that's right, I'm a Christian, is way down on the list. Uh, be concerned. So maybe you realize, I've, I need to reprioritize my spiritual life. And it might be that you need to reprioritize uh, your, Christ, your church life, reprioritize um, being in community, participating in the life, exhorting and being exhorted uh, with other Christians. Summertime, listen, uh, it's just it's between you and God. Um, I'm not looking around going, you know, 
They went camping. I'd be out there. If I weren't a pastor, there would be many Sundays I'm out there camping and fishing. Okay, so I'm not talking about, you know, we're not legalistic here, but it's for, for our souls. And then finally, if you're not a Christian, uh, this text is extremely clear. You want to enter God's rest, and he wants you to enter his rest, so much so that he sent his only begotten son to live a righteous life and then go to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And he said, look, I'm standing with my arms wide open. I've done everything for you, but you've got to respond. You've got to choose to have faith. But if you're not a Christian, God is saying, please, today, enter my rest. Put your faith in my son, Jesus Christ. Commit to following him for a lifetime, and he will lead you right into heaven. And that relationship can start today. And if you respond, uh, the Spirit of God will uh, give you the right to become a child of God, and it's awesome. God, we want to enter your rest. We heed your warning today. Thank you for caring enough about us that you exhort us to remain faithful for a lifetime. Thank you for your word. It truly is uh, a double-edged sword, piercing and able to bring life. We respond, empowered by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen.